This morning, I want to, uh, I, I want to, I want to continue our series, Transformed, and I want to talk about uh, the transformation that faith brings. The transformation that faith brings. You know, there is a, there is a saying that behind every great man there is a great woman. Now, now some people say behind every man, there's a great woman. I've also heard behind every great man, there's a woman rolling her eyes. Um, I've, al I've also heard this, that behind every great man, there is not a great woman because there's no greater man than the one who is willing to acknowledge the great woman standing beside him. There, there's, there's all these different uh, expressions, but it is true that God said, it is not good that man live alone. And, and the impact that this wonderful part of creation, the woman, I think that it, it only stands to reason that we would have a day where we celebrate Mother's Day. And, and in celebrating Mother's Day, not just celebrate moms, but celebrate all of uh, the women in our life. And, and, uh, and I want this morning, I want to, uh, I want to talk to you about, um, I want to talk to you about one woman in the Bible and two women in my life. There are, uh, <clears throat> there are those people that you would have in your life where it seems like they live a charmed life. It seems like serendipity is the best word to describe how they live, right? Everything just sort of seems to work out for them. True? And, and there's, a, there's a woman in scripture. We, we don't know her name, but we know her story well. And, and it seems as if, at least from the outsider, it would seem that her life was just marked by that charmed life, that serendipity. In fact, here are the words that are used to describe her. In the King James Version, she's referred to as a great woman. In the New American Standard, she's referred to as a prominent woman. In the New King James Version, she's called a noble woman. In the New International Version, she's called a, a well-to-do woman. That's a that's a woman that's a blessed woman, wouldn't you say? A great, prominent, noble, well-to-do woman. And for the person who doesn't know the detail of her story, looking at her at a distance and, and looking at what is happening in her life, they would go, you know, that's a lady who's just gotten all the breaks. However, here's what we know about her. For many years, she was barren. She had a son only to have him die at a young age. She faced famine, famine in the land so severe that she had to leave her home. She had to leave what she knew and, and go and live in a different country for a period of seven years. And when she returned, she returned as a widow and had to beg to get her land back. And yet, and yet her life seems to be marked by blessing. At a distance, it would appear as if, as if she lived a charmed life. Why? Because this woman demonstrates to us what it means to walk in faith. Let's take a look at her story in, in, in 2 Kings, the eighth chapter. The king of Israel, 
Joram, the king of Israel, he is having a conversation with a, a servant. And the servant's name is Gehazi. Gehazi for years has been the close confidant, the key servant to a prophet, a man named Elisha. Now Elisha uh, for some time was a contemporary of Elijah, uh, the prophet Elijah the Tishpite. Uh, after Elisha is called heavenward, after Elijah is called heavenwards, Elisha takes over as the, 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 the prophet of that time, the prophet of that, of that season. And because of the because of the fact that the king was so ungodly, the king does not have a, a great relationship, doesn't have great interaction with Elisha. And yet he, but he knows about Elisha and he knows that, that Elisha's stories are, well, to some degree, they're larger than life. And so the king has an opportunity uh, to talk to, to Gehazi, Elisha's servant, and he says, tell me about Elisha. Tell me, tell me some of these stories. Are the things that I hear about Elisha, are they, are they really true? And Gehazi says, oh, oh, king, yes, I, I, I have been there. I've seen these things with my own eyes. I, 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 I saw where the king sent a captain of the army with 50 soldiers to try to bring Elisha to him. And Elisha says, I'm not going and called down fire from heaven. And it consumed that, in, that entire group of soldiers. I, I saw that happen, uh, oh, oh, king, not once, but I saw that happen twice. There, there was another occasion where there was a, an invading army coming and I was concerned for my life. Actually, king, to be honest, I was absolutely absolutely freaking out. And Elisha very calmly walked up and prayed that my eyes would be open, that I would see not just in the natural, but that I would also see in the supernatural. And I saw around us the armies, armies of angels on these chariots of fire. And, and that's, that's not even the biggest thing, O king. I was with Elisha one time when this, this little boy, this little boy had died. And Elisha came and and, and he, 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 he laid on the boy as a, as a result of a, a mother's pleading. He came and he, he laid on this boy and, and, and laid on him once. And, and this cold body grew warm and he laid on the body again. And, and all of a sudden the, 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 the boy, he, he sneezed over and over, seven times I, I think. And, and, and the boy got up and, and Elijah gave the boy back to his mother. And the king said, really? And Gehazi said, yes. And he looked and he said, king, I, as unbelievable as it is, it's that woman coming in the distance. And it was at that moment that this, this woman, we, we don't know her name, we just know that she's a woman who lived in Shunem. So she was called the Shunammite. In fact, every time God's prophet Elisha refers to her, he just refers to her as the Shunammite. She's coming. And she comes at that moment. She explains to the king that she's been gone. She's been living among the Philistines because of the severe famine that had come upon Israel. And when she returned, someone had taken her land 
And because her husband was not with her, it was difficult to make the claim, so she appealed all the way to the king. And here's what the king said. The king called an aide over and he said, I want you to take care of this woman. I want you to make sure that she gets her land back. And I want to make sure that she not only gets all her land back, but I also want to make sure that anything that her land would have earned, any, any funds that would have been a result of her land over the last seven years, that all of that would be given to her. The... The Shunammite woman, she, she represents what Solomon wrote about in Proverbs 31 when he talks about the Proverbs 31 woman, a, a wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. God, I, I thank you today for several things. I, I, first of all, I thank you for the Proverbs 31 women that are in this room. I thank you for the Proverbs 31 women that are in my life. And, and as, we, as we take this day and, and we celebrate Mother's Day, as we honor uh, the women of faith among us, God, we, we ask that you would indeed bless. God, that you would bring strength and encouragement, that you would bring wisdom and understanding, that, that you would bring provision and peace. God, that, that you would bring reconciliation and hope, that you would bring a, a sense of destiny. God, that there would be among us a representation in a profound way of the power and strength of a Proverbs 31 woman. Father, we thank you for your word today. We ask that you would use it to be a lamp to our feet, a light into our path. God, help us to hide your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. We commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I started at the end of the story. Let me take you to the beginning of the story. In 2 Kings, the fourth chapter, we're introduced to this woman, and she is the woman from Shunem. Second Kings 4.8, it tells us this, that one day Elisha went to Shunem, and a prominent, a noble, a great, a well-to-do woman was there. And as Elisha is making his way through Shunem, this woman urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he, he stopped there to eat. I want to talk to you about what makes a woman great. What is it that would cause a woman to be described as noble, as prominent, as blessed? Because we see this, we see it displayed in this woman that we simply know as the Shunammite. And the first thing that we discover about this Shunammite woman is this, is that she has a wonderful servant's heart, right? Elisha, the man of God, the prophet, is passing through her town. She, she recognizes that he is... He is there simply with his servant. He is, a, he is not someone from the area. He doesn't seem to have the means to provide for himself. And so she says, you know, you, you, need, you need somebody to take you in. You need somebody to provide a meal for you. Please, let me, let me do that for you. Let, 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 me, let me respond to 
your need. And, and she demonstrates what it means to be a servant. She, she, doesn't, she doesn't just show just basic hospitality. As she invites Elisha in, and, and she does so repeatedly each time he's passing through Shunem, she eventually says this to her husband. She says, you know, this man, Elisha, who comes through here regularly, it's, it's obvious that he's a man of God and, and it's, it's obvious that he's doing God's work and, and he comes by regularly. I believe this. I believe we should make a room for him up on our roof. And, uh, and I believe this. I believe not only should we put a, make a room for him up on our roof, I believe this. I believe that we should put a, a bed in there a table in there and a chair in there. That way, whenever the man of God comes through our town, he has a place to stay. Now you might think that she's, she's angling for something. She's trying to get something. But that's not, that's not it. It's just a response to her heart. She, she, just, she just has this this servant's heart. I've watched this displayed in, in, in my life. I've watched it displayed in my life as a, as a troubled teenager. When a, a mom says, there's this boy that needs a place to stay. I believe this. I believe we should welcome him in and, and allow him to be a part of our family. The, the family that took me in when I was a troubled teenager, they... There, there, there wasn't anything that I could return to them. There wasn't anything that I could give to them. It, it wasn't a means to an end. It, it, was, it was simply a, a servant's response to what God had placed in their heart to do. I've watched it in the life of my wife over and over again. This issue of serendipity. Let me take a moment and talk about my wife. I don't do that very much, but I, I want to talk about Jody for a moment. Um, Jody is one of those people that from the outside world looking in, they would think, you know, that's a girl that lives a charmed life. That everything just kind of seems to work out for her. Because if you see Jody, you will find this. You'll find this that she... Uh, always has a smile on her face. We've been married for 31 years. And can I tell you, I, I've seen that smile for all 31 of those years. It's, it's what attracted me to her in the first place when I, when I met her as a teenager. And Jody was one of those girls that, um, that always had a, a contagious smile, not not simply because she was pretty. Her smile seemed to go all the way to her soul and reach all the way to your soul. She carried herself incredibly well. Jody, when I, when I first met Jody, Jody attended um, in, the, in the area that we lived in, she attended the most prestigious high school in the area. And, and looking at her and looking at the way that she carried herself, not with an arrogance, but with a, but with a grace, uh, you would have said, yeah, she fits in among those wealthy folks because she lives in a wealthy city. And it is a wealthy city except for a little pocket. 
And Jody came from that little pocket and she didn't pretend to be something that she wasn't. She wasn't trying to impress you. She just had this unshakable confidence in an almighty God. And, and, and in her smile, you would think, this is a girl that has all of the breaks in life. And what you wouldn't know is this. You wouldn't know that when she went home, she went home to a house without a mother. Her, her mom had left a few years prior. She had uh, met another man and, and had ran off with another man. You, you wouldn't know that her father was detached. Her, 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 her father, as a result of, of, of all these challenges of life swirling around, had a nervous breakdown and, and never really came around afterwards. You would have thought that at least they had great financial stability. Not so much. Jody's father was a, he was a, a, a union steward in a company that regularly went on strike. In fact, you will find this today that Jody doesn't eat cheese very much. You know why? Because growing up, she had more than her share of government cheese. And so as a young teenage girl, she was basically raising her two younger brothers. And yet if you wanted to find her Sunday morning, you'd find her in church, hands raised in worship, talking about the wonders of an almighty God. If you wanted to find her Sunday night, you would find her in church. If you wanted to find her Wednesday night, you'd find her in youth group. With a smile on her face and a song in her heart, not allowing her circumstances to determine her destiny, but having this, this unwavering confidence in an almighty God that, that allowed her to not be so focused on her own survival and her self-interests. But it allowed her to be a servant to others. See, I'm convinced that's why many people don't have a servant's disposition. It, it's not that we're by nature selfish. It's that the fear of, of not being able to make it. It's the it's the anxiety over not having enough that forces us to be selfish. I, I, I don't believe that we're selfish by nature. I, in fact, I believe that we're givers by nature. And, and I know that we're givers by nature because we're created in God's image. We're created in God's likeness. And, and one of the first things that we learn about God is that he gives. And so the selfish nature, the selfish disposition, it, it does not come naturally. It's something that is acquired. Selfishness is a result of the fear, and it's a result of that fear of feeling like we don't have enough. Let me say this tangentially. That's the reason why I regularly talk to people about the principle of the tithe, because when we withhold from God, what it does is it puts us into a disposition where we consistently live in the land of not quite enough, and it fuels a fear that permeates all other aspects of our life. That's why God wants to encourage you and position you to be a giver, not because he's trying to get something from you, but because he wants to break you of this fear and break you of this selfishness that is not supposed to be a part of your, your nature. And this, this woman from Shunem, she, she grasped that. She, she got it. 
And so she had this wonderful servant's disposition. She, she could have been someone who was withdrawn. After all, what made a woman great in her culture, what, what made a woman great in her day was having children. The thing that every husband wanted was a son to, to pass on his legacy to. And the woman from Shunem, that, that was not a possibility. She had been married many years. We know that she, from the, from, from the narrative here in 2 Kings, we know that she's, she's well on in years. And she has no child. No, no doubt being barren, no, no doubt being childless, uh, it caused her to face some scorn. It, it caused people to mock her. And she'd hear the whispers when she would go into the city square. And yet she had a grace about her. Because here's what she knew. She knew that the promises of God were true. And she could stand on those promises of God. And so she lived with a servant's heart. She demonstrated for us what Jesus declared in Mark chapter 10, when he said this, whoever wants to be great among you must be a servant. Why? Why is this issue of a servant's heart so important? It's important, friend, because it demonstrates that we value what God values. It declares God's love and it, and it pushes back against this, this selfishness that's rooted in fear. And, and, and I, I, what I so appreciate about this this woman from Shunem, she, she didn't just have a servant's heart. She had a, very, she had a very subtle disposition. The prophet Elisha, he, he was moved by her generosity. And so 2 Kings 4 tells us that, that one day while Elisha is there in the room that was prepared for him lying on the bed, he, he said to his servant Gehazi, he said, call the Shunammite. Again, I find it humorous that he never calls her by name, just the Shunammite. Call that woman. And so he calls for the Shunammite. And she comes and she stands there before him. And he says, ma'am, you have been uh, very gracious to me in your hospitality. Uh, I am a man of considerable influence. I have influence with the king. I have influence uh, with those in high authority. Tell me what I can do for you. Tell me how I can help you. What, what, what is there that I can give in response to your wonderful uh, generosity? And here's what she says in 2 Kings 4.13. She says, I have a home among my own people. In essence, what she's saying is this. She's saying, Elisha, I appreciate your offer. I'm good. I, 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 have, I have everything that I need. Elisha is this man. She knows that he's a man of God. She knows that he's the man of considerable influence. And he even reinforces that. Right? He says, listen, I have considerable influence. I have influence with the army. I have influence with the king. What can I have done for you? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. And she says, I'm good. And then she, she leaves. She walks out of the room. And Elisha, he says to Gehazi, he says, uh, Gehazi, what can we do for this woman? And this is one of those persons scripture uh, that I, that, and I find this regularly in scripture. I find, I find um, scriptures that, that will put a smile on my face and, and even, even sometimes make me chuckle. And this is one of those, right? So um, Elisha asks Gehazi, he says, what can we do for the woman? And he says, well, she is old. I, I, I love that response. Well, she is an old woman and she has no son. 
So, yeah. I wonder if that moment, if Elisha goes, oh, duh, why didn't I see that? Well, Elisha, she is an old woman and she doesn't have a child. Hello, Captain Obvious. And uh, so, yeah, call, call her back in. So, so he calls her back in, right? And, and she stood in the doorway and Elisha says this, about this time next year, you will hold a son in your arms. And she responds back and she says, no, my Lord, don't mislead your servant, O man of God. He, he, is, he is touched on that very thing that she, that she was missing in her life, okay? And, and she, she didn't have everything, but she was grateful for what she had. And in that moment, when, when, when God when God blesses her, it's powerfully moving, right? But she's settled. She, she gets what 1 Timothy 6 tells us, that, that godliness with contentment is great gain. She's not, she's not chasing after something. But in her contented disposition, God blesses her. It tells us there in, in 2 Kings 4 that shortly thereafter she became pregnant and the next year, about the same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. A portion of text tells us that, that the boy grew. And it doesn't tell us how many years. We would, we would imagine by the story that we're four to five years into this little boy's life. And, and the reason for that is because the next portion of the story tells us that she takes the boy in her lap, but it also tells us that the boy is out with the father. Let me unpack it for you. The, the boy is out in the fields with the father who's overseeing the reaping that's going on, the bringing in of the crops. And while they're out in the field, the boy turns to his father and he says, Father, my head, my, my head is hurting. Something's wrong with my head. And, and the father uh, says to one of the servants, please take my son to his mother. And so the boy is taken to the mother. And the mother takes the boy in, his, in, in her arms and holds him in, in her lap until noon. And at noon, the boy dies. She takes his lifeless body. She, she carries it up the stairs. And she lays it down on the bed of the prophet. And then she, she tells the, the servant. She says, send a message. Get, go tell my husband uh, that I need one of the servants and I need a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return here. Why go to him today, he asks. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. Notice her husband's question. It, it's in the moments of great difficulty that the enemy will use that powerful tool. It's a tool that we've talked about here at Calvary before. But he'll use the scheme of the question. Why go bother the man of God? Why, 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 why even try? It's, it's, it's not the right time. It's not the right place. Why? And in this, the Shunammite woman, she demonstrates a simplistic faith. 
Here's what she says. It's all right. It's all right. It's, it's there in, in, in 2 Kings 4.23. It's all right. I don't know if I would have the faith. I don't know if I would have the settled disposition to say that in that moment. She, for years, had hoped for and longed for the opportunity to mother a child. After she had given up hope and resigned herself to the fact that she was going to be childless, the man of God prophesies over her, she gives birth, and she and her husband enjoy having a son around. And then as quickly as this joy comes into her life, now unexpectedly her son has lost his life. You would expect her to be emotionally distraught. You would expect her to be emotionally unhinged, beside herself, unable to even function. But no, she operates with this simplistic faith. When she says it's all right, she's not operating in deception. She's not trying to convince her husband that that something is is true that is not. She's also not operating in denial. She, She understands the reality of the state of her lifeless son. It's not deception, it's not denial, but it is an understanding of the promises of God. And in that Bible, friend, in your Bible, there are over 7,000 promises of God. And he keeps every one of them. And she understands that our God is a God who keeps his promises. And so she lives with this simplistic faith. She understands the importance of reaching out to the man of God. And so she saddles the donkey and she goes with the servant and they make the the 25 mile trek in in the afternoon sun. And as they're some distance off, she reaches the man of God there at Mount Carmel and tells us this in, in, in verse 25, it says, so she set out and came to meet the man of God. When he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, look, there's the Shunammite. Run to her, meet her, and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right, she said. She said it again. Everything is all right, you said. When she reached the man of God of the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone. She's in bitter distress. But the Lord has hidden from me the reason why. Again, I want you to to get this. Her son dies. She lays him on the bed. She gets on a donkey. 
she rides some 25 miles. I think it's easy for us when we hear these biblical stories, I think it's easy for some of these concepts to just kind of wash over us. I can't begin to imagine what it would be like to ride a donkey for a block. She rides a donkey for 25 miles. Right? If I rode a donkey for 25 miles and somebody asked me, is everything all right? No, I just rode a donkey for 25 miles. But she has this steadfast determination, right? And so when she gets there, is everything all right? Everything's all right. She gets off the donkey, she comes up and she grabs hold of the feet of the prophet. And Gehazi's like, what is wrong with you, woman? Get, get. And Elisha goes, leave her be. Something's not right. She's distressed. She's, she, is, she is downright bitter, but I, I don't know why. And she says this to Elisha. She says, did I ask you for a son? Did I ask you for a son? Didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes? So Elisha tells his servant to take his staff and return with the woman to her house and to lay the staff on the bed and pray for a miracle. But the woman says this, I didn't come for your servant. I came for you. I didn't come for some principle. I didn't come for some precept. I came for you. As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. She says, listen, Elisha, as long as you're alive, I'm holding on to you until I get my miracle. There's a message for somebody today in that statement. I'm not letting go until I get my miracle. I'm not letting go until I get my miracle. And so Elisha goes. The woman goes with them. They make the 25 mile trek back to Shunem. Lifeless body still there. Elisha goes in, closes the door, lays prostrate on the child, eye to eye. And this cold body becomes warm. And Elisha gets up and he walks around the room. Lays on the body again eye to eye, face to face. And this lifeless body sees life come back in. And he takes the boy and he gives the boy back to his mother. Years later, if you saw her with her son and her grandchildren, you would look at this woman and you would say, 
wow, she must have had all the breaks in life. She's well-to-do. She's prominent. She's noble. She's great. She has all this land and she has this wonderful family. And if you just looked as a casual observer, you you wouldn't know those defining moments of faith that were all along the way. I see this smile that greets me every morning. I I live with a woman that has a disposition of joy. I was the one that had to give her the news that our youth pastor's wife died. I know how much Jody prayed for Amy. I know how much she fasted for Amy. And I'll never forget the devastation in her eyes when I told her that Amy's gone. I've watched my wife for 31 years navigate a a distant relationship with a disconnected father that has said some of the most ungodly, awful things to her and about her. And I've watched her honor him every step of the way. I've seen her show great forgiveness to a mother who faced more than her share of challenges. And I've watched Jody reconnect with her mom and develop a relationship with her mom that was paramount in her mother's journey back to faith. Every job that Jody has ever had, she's prospered in. It would seem that she lives a charmed life. In July, she'll celebrate 31 years being married to me. She's obviously blessed. It would seem serendipity. It's not. It's, it's a result of, a, of an unwavering faith that she, was, she, that she has walked with since very early childhood. That's the power of a great woman. I watched my mom. My mom went from being in the steno pool to having a job of significant influence in a major corporation. I watched her retire from that job and take a, another job she thought would be an easy nine to five deal. 
but she very quickly became a person of great influence within that organization. I watched my mom for years in her relationship with my father. And I, my, my parents watch this service pretty much every week. Dad, you're not easy. Uh, you're, you're hard to live with. You're hard to take. Um, he's a man who he genuinely loves, um, but um, he's not always patient. And my, um, my mom is unwavering. And I've heard people at times say the same thing about both my mother and my wife. They've said, oh, they're so naive. Let me help you, friend. Mm. Neither my wife nor my mother operate in, naive, in, in, in naivete. They're actually both quite brilliant. What the world would mistake as naivete is actually it's a servant's heart. It's a settled disposition. It's this faith that is unwavering. And it a determination like something you've never seen. If my mom's praying for you, you've been prayed for. If, if my wife tells you that she's going to pray for you, two things are going to happen. Number one, she's probably going to pray for you right then. Number two, she's going to continue to pray for you until you receive breakthrough. Because that's just the way they work. A wife of noble character. She is of more value than rubies. I can say that is true. And here's what I believe. I believe this. I believe that God is wanting to work in your life. We talk specifically to the women in the room that God wants to work in your life. And, and, and here's what I want to promise you, okay? You're going to have your share of peaks and you're going to have your share of valleys. The woman from Shunem, she had some financial means. She also had no child. She gave birth to a son. He died. He was miraculously brought back to life. Famine came to her land so severe that they had to move to a different country. In the seven years while she was gone, she lost her husband, came back. They wouldn't give her her land back, wouldn't give her her house back. In order to make it happen, she had to appeal all the way up to the king. But isn't it interesting? Isn't it fortunate? Isn't it what some would say lucky, serendipity, that at the moment that she's going to ask the king, beg the king for her land back, 
that the servant of God's servant would be telling the king her story. Ma'am, God has you. In the good times, he has you. In the challenges, he has you. When you think you've lost everything, he has you. When it seems like your family is gone, he has you. And you know what serendipity is? Serendipity is just recognizing God's presence in all that we are and all that we do. And in light of that, living in the joy that he has for us.